Well, good evening, everyone. It is uh, great to be uh, picking back up in Genesis for our final time uh, before kind of we have our break over the Advent season. So uh, do uh, open back up to Genesis uh, 46 this evening as we work our way uh, through this uh, fairly long passage. We were all thankful it was Steve um, reading it, right? Weren't we in the middle there of uh, chapter 46 as he went through those names? So... Um, Yes, but it's good to be, good to be together uh, and just opening God's word together. I will be right with you every step of the way. Those words, in whatever context they're said, are surely some of the most reassuring, comforting, strengthening words that we could hear, aren't they? We all need those words said to us at different times, don't we? Whether it be a good friend, a family member, a husband, a wife, whoever it may be, who just comes alongside us. Perhaps when we're feeling overwhelmed, when we're facing difficult times ahead, when we're perhaps fearful or anxious. Someone who just says, don't worry. As you go through this, as you press on, I am going to be with you every step of the way. And thinking of this, I don't know if many of you have tracked with the story of Rob Burrow and Kevin Sinfield. They're both former rugby league players. Having had each other's backs uh, for many years as they played alongside each other, sadly, back in 2019, uh, Rob Burrow was diagnosed with motor neurone disease, M&D. And in amongst all the sadness of that, The incredible hardships that Rob has faced since, and they've been very real. One of the most beautiful things has also been seeing Rob's friend, this man, Kevin Sinfield there, the larger of the two, just draw alongside and support Rob in whatever way possible. Kevin saying to Rob, listen, as you go through this, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. As part of a whole host of challenges to raise money for MND, charities and organizations, they even completed a marathon in Leeds earlier this year together. Kevin pushing Rob in this specially adapted wheelchair and then beautifully carrying him across the finishing line. And summing all of this up, they have produced just in the last month or so this little book which hopefully you can see on the screen there if you can't see me holding it. And it's just titled this, With You Every Step. As Rob has faced up to and pressed on into this difficult, fearful path that's lay ahead of him, his friend Kevin has said to him, listen, as you go through this, I am going to be with you every step of the way. And seeing the beauty of that. I'm sure we can all echo and see the beauty and goodness of that generally, of having someone in our lives who will say, I am going to be with you every step of the way and be that, do that for us in all the different challenges, difficulties, trials that we'll go through. And that is exactly what we are going to see 
in our passage this evening as we turn to Genesis 46 and then this first half of chapter 47 as well. Because here we see that just as Rob Burrow, on hearing that diagnosis, knew he faced this difficult, fearful path ahead, so too, in this passage, did Jacob. Having been told Joseph is still alive and eventually been convinced of that truth, he has decided, hasn't he, to go to see him in Egypt as Joseph has wanted him to. And and as we pick up the story in chapter 46, in verses 1 to 4, we're reminded, though, that this was going to be no small thing for Jacob, for Israel, as he's named here often, to make this journey. I think we see immediate recognition of this if you look with me in verse 1. Because if you look with me, we read there that Israel, Jacob, makes this stopover, doesn't he, in Beersheba, the the southernmost part of the land of Canaan, before he then leaves the promised land and on towards Egypt. And there, where both Abraham and his father Isaac before him had called on the name of the Lord, Jacob, we read, does the same. We read of him offering sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And I think we see in something of this, What must have been going through Jacob's mind? As I reach this point, this path, as I go on here, is this the right thing to do, Lord? And if so, how will I have the strength, the ability to carry on to do this? Remember, first of all, Jacob is 130 years old at this point. Imagine a journey like this ahead of you at that age. And of course, on top of that, there is also this issue that in going to Egypt, he is leaving the promised land, going to this pagan land where the name of God is not known, where other gods are worshipped. And so given all that, we see Jacob, just as Abraham and his father had, Isaac had before him, worshipping the Lord. And in doing that, I think, probably calling on his name, seeking his faith, his help, his direction, as he considers whether to go on to go on to Egypt, as it seems he's been called to. This difficult, fearful path lies ahead, so he seeks out and worships his God. And of course, as we think of a situation like this, it isn't hard to see how on reading this, God's people right through history have found themselves in very similar situations. And of course, we continue to do the same this this evening, today as well, don't we? We're faced with difficult, fearful changes, perhaps, trials, journeys that lie ahead of us. Should we press on? How can we press on, given what lies ahead? And if we do go on, how do we know that we go with God's blessing and help? Maybe even right now, you could be feeling something of that facing something daunting, fear-inducing perhaps in your life, a potential change, a crazy busy stretch. Many of us have that coming over Christmas. Perhaps a medical diagnosis, whatever that is, that is just making life difficult or uncertain as you go on. Or if we're being honest, sometimes it doesn't even take a particular event, does it? Or thing coming up in our lives to make us feel how Jacob must have been feeling. Just in the day-to-day Christian life, we can begin to feel overwhelmed, can't we? Fearful, anxious, what lies ahead for us? And in this way, Jacob's journey, I think, here in chapter 46, also pictured for us just the day-to-day Christian life. 
pressing on in following Jesus. God is calling me on tomorrow to follow and serve him. But I know there will be difficult times. It won't be easy. How are we going to be able to do that? To persevere, to press on, to continue to the end of that journey. Well, again, it's into that kind of situation, those questions, anxieties, that I think often we echo, don't we? We hear not just a friend, like that friend, Kevin, but we hear the word of God come to us and say something very much like this. Do not fear. I am going to be with you every step of the way. Listen to what we read there in verses 2 to 4. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Do not worry, Jacob. I know you personally, just as I knew your father before you and his father. And as you go on here to Egypt, as you're being called to, I want you to know this. I will go with you every step of the way. God's words here, his promises, they must have spoken so much comfort reassurance and strength, mustn't they, to Jacob as he heard them. They must have emboldened him and encouraged him as he pressed on in this journey. And I hope that as we hear these words personally spoken to Jacob by our God, we too will find in these same words the same personal message coming to us, message of comfort, of strength and encouragement for us too. Imagine if you would... These words of God coming to us this evening like a personally hand-delivered card. A card from the Lord saying to you and to me this week, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. As we receive that card, as we receive that word from the Lord and see this in our passage, notice with me, that God's words here seem to come with two distinct promises kind of attached together. See, before this promise there to be with Jacob in verse 4, we also read this in verse 3, didn't we? We read these words, Do not be afraid, Jacob, to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. God's first promise is actually something like this, isn't it? A promise that as Jacob goes down to Egypt... He will be working good for him and for his people every step of the way. Again, these initial words from God must have been a real reassurance. Jacob, perhaps fearing that leaving the promised land could also, in a sense, be like leaving God's promises behind him. And yet here God says, listen, my promises to you are my promises to you. And they, wherever you go, I will bring them about. In fact, God makes it clear to Jacob that it's in Egypt itself that he will continue to bring these promises to fulfillment. In particular here, the promise that he made first back to Abraham, his grandfather. 
that he will make him into a great nation. This promise of what lay ahead must have given Jacob renewed boldness and strength, mustn't it, as he, as he pressed on into this journey. Even as he did something here in this journey that probably in so many ways seems completely crazy. Again, imagine trying to make this journey as a 130-year-old man or woman. Relocate to this foreign land even and live life there. Crazy. Why would you do it? How could you do it? Well, this promise and this situation uh, reminded me of the film Field of Dreams. Has anybody, anybody seen it? Not just me? If you haven't, uh, it's well worth it anyway. Without getting into all the detail, ruining the whole story, the basic plot line is that this farmer, Ray, their picture, does something crazy, as it were. He's already cash-strapped and struggling financially, and he plows up a large part of his crop, his corn crop, and in its place he builds this baseball diamond. Why? Why would he do that? Well, because like Jacob here, he has been told what will happen if he does. We hear this voice coming to Ray saying, if you build it, he will come. And so that's what Ray does. Despite others mocking him, questioning him, he presses on, he builds this diamond. And one day, out of the crops appear these former baseball players coming to play on this diamond. And ultimately, also, the one who comes who is the he, his father. Now in Field of Dreams, it's some eerie, disembodied voice who speaks to Ray. But here in our passage, it is the voice of God, isn't it, who comes to Jacob. And the assurance, the promise of God that as Jacob makes this seemingly crazy, difficult journey, God will ultimately use it every step of the way as part of his plan to make him into this great nation. Well, that emboldens Jacob, doesn't he? He knows what will happen as he goes on. And so he presses on. That's what we see in verse 5, isn't it? Jacob, having received this word from the Lord, just continuing on with his journey, taking all of his family with him, despite any potential dangers or difficulties that might lie ahead. And in the rest of our long passage this evening, we are not going to get into all the details. I think we then do see, though, presented to us two further pieces of evidence that, again, are meant to encourage Jacob and also encourage us as we read this, that God is going to do this. He is going to work good and fulfill his promises. Piece of evidence number one from chapter 46, verses 5 to 27. Look at what God has already done. These are those verses that include that long genealogy that Steve read. And what is the point of this genealogy here? Why is it included? I do think there are a number of 
points. We won't again get into all of them. But primarily for our sake this evening, I want us to see that these verses show how God has already begun to bring about his promises to Jacob to fulfill them, to make him into this great nation. After all, how many offspring did Jacob have back in Genesis 28 when he first received a promise from God that his offspring would be like the dust of the earth? None. Zero. No offspring at all. And yet here we are, years later, and we read, don't we? We read of son after son after son. And then of their sons too, and daughters as well. All summed up there in verse 27, where we read that all the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. From zero to 70. We can see, can't we, how God has already been at work. And so as God again makes his promise to Jacob back in verse 3 to make him into a great nation, Jacob already at this point can look back, can't he, and see how God has already begun to bring that about. And of course it isn't a surprise that it's the number 70 that's mentioned there. A number of fullness, just like we've been thinking of course of the importance of numbers in Revelation recently. That number 70 points to a truth. God is bringing this full number of Jacob's family with him to Egypt. And as he has done that, he will also grow that family. Growing that family again to the full number that he has planned in the years, decades, centuries, and millennia to come. God has been at work. God will continue to be at work. And that's the second piece of evidence then from this chapter, from chapter 46, verse 28, through to 47, verse 12, where we left off. And again, this piece of evidence gives us confidence that God is at work. Piece of evidence number two, look what God is continuing to do. As Steve was reading earlier, do you remember, we heard in this this section of Joseph making this plan with his brothers of what he will say to Pharaoh, right? And what they should then say to Pharaoh when they come to him. Above all, making it clear, it seems, that they are shepherds. Why does Joseph do that? Because as we read there in in verse 28, I think it was, at the end, shepherds are an abomination or an abomination to Egyptians. So this would encourage Pharaoh then to to give them this land of Goshen that they seem to be in. The best of the land, but also a part of the land that seems to be apart, separate from where most Egyptians live, which will enable again the Israelites over the coming years to continue to maintain their identity as God's people. Not just be assimilated as they might have been otherwise into the Egyptians. Now, seeing this, why, we might ask, would the best of the land not already be overrun with Egyptians at this point? Well, again, I think we have to see the continuing hand of God at work, don't we? He's kept this land free for a purpose, that Jacob and his family would move into it. And, of course, God seems to be behind the scenes then also, as we read of Pharaoh going along with his plan, 
No hesitation at all, right? He just goes on saying to Joseph in 47, verse 6, The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. God is continuing to work. And in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 47, where we finished, we read this summary. Reading again of them being given possession, don't we, of the best of the land, of how Joseph provided food and we'd assume anything else, everything else that his father and his family needed. This is God continuing to work, isn't it? His continued work presented to us. And again, as Jacob witnessed some of this, it must have been such an encouragement. As he arrived in Egypt, even from the first moment, he could see God is working to fulfill his good purposes for me and for my family. God's continued faithfulness and goodness on show in his life must have left Jacob thanking God and given him renewed confidence that God really was with him as he promised to be and would do all that he said he would. And as we see this for Jacob, I think we have to see that this is an encouragement for us as well. Why is this passage here for us today then? What relevance for us? Well, because it shows us and teaches us that our God is a God who has proven time and time again that he keeps every promise of his word. Including here to Jacob, he is the one who will always work good for his people every step of the way. And of course, we, looking back, have even more evidence of this than Jacob did. Today, we can look back and read of how God did continue to grow the Israelites into this great nation. So much so that 430 years on from this, we know that 600,000 men left Egypt as part of the Exodus. Probably meaning over 2 million left, if we're including women and children. Now, that is quite the growth, isn't it? But that isn't even the greatest fulfillment of God's promise to Jacob here. No, instead we see this, don't we, in the promised, the coming of the promised one. The promised seed we've been looking for right the way through Genesis. Jesus, the one through whom every nation would be blessed. And the one through whom he would gather this nation, this people, to himself. Ultimately, that is what God has continued to be doing, hasn't it? Over the past 2,000 years since the coming of Christ, gathering a people, a nation to himself, a nation too numerous to count. Look at what God has already done, and look at what God is continuing to do. He fulfills his good purposes for his people. Listen with me to Revelation 7, and the full and final picture of this great nation of God's people gathering around the throne. We read this. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. That day, as we gather like that, that will be the final fulfillment of God's promise, won't it? Back to Abraham and to Jacob that we've read about. This great nation 
from every nation gathering in worship of our good and gracious God. And so just as for Jacob, God promised this is what lay ahead of him. So we too can read these promises and know what lies ahead for us. God's good purposes that the full number of his people will for eternity to come gather around his throne. So seeing that, let me just encourage you this evening. If you are a Christian, you are first of all living proof of God's faithfulness this evening. His faithfulness in keeping his promises. You are today a child of Abraham, of Jacob, a part of this great nation that he promised to make. And second then, you also as a Christian have received similar certain promises for your life as well. That God will also work good for you and through you every step of the way. As you press on, as you journey on into whatever lies before you in the days, months, and years ahead. The promise of God for you this evening is that he will continue and bring the good work already begun in you to completion at the day of Christ. He will do that. And the promise of Christ for you this evening is that whatever comes against you, whoever comes against you in your life, No one will snatch you from his hand or from his father's hand. God said this to Jacob. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. Well, this evening he says to all of us, do not be afraid to go on in following me, in pressing on to your Egypt, to going forwards, in serving me, even towards things that could frighten you, could make you anxious, that could overwhelm you as you look ahead to them. Because in Christ, I have already made you a part of my people. And one day I will bring you home to be with me forever. My good purposes for you will not fail. And of course, that promise of God's personal presence with his people takes us back to where we began and leads us on to this second glorious promise that we've seen here in this passage. God's promise in verse 4 to personally go with Jacob every step of the way on this journey. Now to me, as we see this, I think this really is glorious. I've just not been able to get this out of my head. As we've just said, God has promised to work good for Jacob and his people, hasn't he? Every step of the way as they press on. But verse 4 from our passage is a glorious follow-up because it reminds us that as Jacob does press on, it isn't as if God is now sending him off on his own to get on with this work of making this great nation. Maybe to then have to report back to God as to how he's getting on. A bit like maybe those dreaded school report cards, right, that went home to our parents. What will be on them? Now, instead, verse 4 tells us that, remarkably, really, God will go down with Jacob, even to this pagan land of Egypt. He will be there with him as he fulfills his purposes. He will be with him every step of the way. 
Just as Kevin Sinfield has essentially put his arm around Rob Burrow's shoulder and said, listen, I'm going to be with you in all that you face in the years ahead. So it's as if God here also puts his arm around Jacob and says exactly the same. God doesn't send his people off to do good works and then look for them to report back to him. No, he is a God who goes with us as we do those good works, as we press on. He strengthens us, he helps us, he encourages us as his people, even picking us back up off the floor when we fall and trip, as we so often do. I don't know about for you, but that is such an encouragement for me as I think about my life. And tied up in this promise, this encouragement, is another truth that I think should also really encourage us, that we see here. That our God is a God who is not bound by any geographical limitations, but promises to go with his people every step of the way, wherever they are, wherever they go. Now, to help us see this, I want us just to briefly uh, to consider the one New Testament passage that goes into any detail about this, this story of Joseph and Jacob going to Egypt. There's only really one that does go into the detail. I wonder if you can remember it. We, we've been looking at the book of Acts, haven't we? Acts chapter 7, Stephen's speech. And here's the thing, if you were with us when we looked at that uh, speech a little while ago, do you remember one of the main points that Stephen was making as he gave that speech? Was that while the Pharisees were trying to constrain God to certain places, like the temple or perhaps just to the promised land, Stephen time and time again in his long speech pointed to how God went wherever his people went. With Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. With Moses at Mount Sinai in Gentile territory. And of course, as he speaks about, with Joseph and Jacob as they went to the pagan land of Egypt. Here's what Stephen says in Acts 7 verse 9. The same language that we've been thinking about. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him. And remember his conclusion in verse 49 to the whole speech. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. The point is this. Jacob, as he went to Egypt, was not leaving God behind. Or going into a part of the world where God somehow wasn't in control or orchestrating things. No, God is the God of the whole earth. As we just read there, the earth is his footstool. There is nowhere where his people can go where he will not also be. Where he will not also be leading, directing. That was true for Jacob and it is true for us this evening too. We can take comfort and strength from this truth. There is nowhere that we can go where God does not go with us if we are his people, where he will not be with us every step of the way. I find that encouraging again as I look at my life. Looking ahead, I know there will be 
good times and there will almost certainly be hard times. But remembering what we're seeing here and picking up on what Steve has been telling us in recent weeks, we can say whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, wherever we find ourselves, for this, God with me. For this, God with me. When you're at work this week, God will be with you there every step of the way in whatever you face. When you're at home this week, God will be with you there every step of the way, whatever you face. When you're perhaps out with your friends or colleagues this week at a Christmas dinner or whatever it may be, God will be with you there every step of the way, whatever you face. I don't know what your week ahead does look like, where it will take you, whether it is good or bad, expected, unexpected, remember this. God will be with you every step of the way, whatever you face. How do we know that, though, I guess, this evening? Might be a question we would ask. How can we be sure that we, too, have received similar promises? This is a specific promise to Jacob, isn't it, here in our passage? Well, we know that because appropriately, as we enter this Advent season, Emmanuel, God with us, has said so. As we remember and rejoice again this Christmas in Christ coming to earth, we remember and rejoice that he came not only as one coming to earth to be with his people for that length of time that he lived on earth, 33 years as he served and ministered. Yes, he was with his people then. But even more than that, we can remember and rejoice this Christmas that right at the end of his ministry, before he ascended to be with his Father in heaven, he made this promise. This promise to all of his followers. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Does that not sound so much like what God said to Jacob here in our passage Jacob, as you go on to Egypt, I will go down with you. I will be with you every step of the way. Well, so also this. Christ says to every Christian believer tonight, as you go on from here, as you go and make disciples of all nations, as you baptize them, as you teach them, and as you do all of that amongst life's hardships, its difficulties, its ups and downs, know this, I will be with you every step of the way. Right now, Christ is dwelling in you by the power of the Spirit. And as he dwells in you, goes with you this week, he is comforting you, strengthening you, helping you, giving you wisdom. We are his. And we can daily say, wherever we are, I have Christ. God is with me. But not only that, here's one more thing for us to hold on to as we think here of God's promise to go with his people every step of the way. 
See, God's presence with his people is not just some past truth. God's presence with his people is not just even a present experience. God's presence with his people is also a glorious future, eternal reality. Just as there is nowhere we can go on earth where we can hide from the Lord, where he will not go with us, so there is no time in the future when God will not continue to be with us. Jesus has already said, hasn't he, that he will be with us to the very end of the age. Well, what about beyond then? Listen to these words from Revelation 21, this vision of the new heaven and the new earth. There we hear the voice speaking, this voice speaking, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That is your future. If you are trusting in Christ this evening, Christ with you to the end of this age, and beyond that, Christ with you for eternity to come. God dwelling with us as our God. I hope that as you do look ahead to the weeks and the the months ahead, what we've seen here this evening has been a comfort, a strength and a help to you. As you press on, following the Lord's leading and guidance and serving him, He will work good for you. He will work good through you. And he will be with you every step of the way in the valleys and in the mountain peaks. Hold on to that this week. God is with me. But then just as we close, I want us just to draw three other specific thoughts just pulling out of this passage for what this also means for us as we look at the week ahead. First of all, I think, as we've just said, as we go into the week, this passage speaks confidence and boldness to us that we really can press on in serving the Lord. Not because of our strength, but because of the one who goes with us and who he is. Jacob, at the close of his life, said this, God has been my shepherd all my life to this very day. That close shepherd who was ever with Jacob is also ever with us as we go on. This week you do not go alone, but the God of the universe goes with you. And remember, as we've been seeing in Genesis as a whole, nothing and no one will get in the way of him accomplishing his good purposes. Second then, holding on to God's promises we've seen this evening, reminds us that we are those who genuinely can bless others. Did you notice as Steve was reading there that that fascinating little passage towards the end? We see this wanderer, as it were, Jacob, and he goes into the presence of this great king Pharaoh, doesn't he? And what do we read him doing? Not just once, but twice. Blessing him. 
Seems the wrong way around, doesn't it? But you see, Jacob knows that he has something so much more precious than Pharaoh's gold, his power, or his influence. He has the God of his fathers with him. And everyone else, everyone else, needs to know him, to know the blessing of that God being with them too. And so that is what Jacob does. He blesses Pharaoh. In the build-up to Christmas, as we think about this, who could you bless, no matter who they are, by pointing them also to those same precious promises, to that same, the same God that we see here in our passage, knowing that as you do that, you really are holding out to them something that is more valuable even than fine gold or the greatest influence or power. And third then, a reminder that this week, no matter what, in our God, we genuinely do have all that we need. We see this reflected in Jacob's words to Joseph in verse 30 of our passage. Do you remember? This glorious reunion. Joseph weeping. And Jacob says these words. Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are alive. Those words are of a, come from the mouth of a contented man. A man who knows that God has been faithful and good to him, who has been with him in his life and who will be with him even in his death. And those words point us forward to words that, again, we're probably likely to read over the coming weeks. The words of Simeon, who, holding Jesus, said something very similar. He said this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. The same God who was with Jacob who was with Simeon, who was to them all that they needed, meaning that they could even die in peace. He is the one who is also the same to us too. A God who will be with us every step of the way here on earth. And a God who will be with us every step of the way, even in our death, as he calls us to be with him forever. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we do once again just thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that in your word we read glorious words, glorious promises that you spoke to your people long ago and words that you have spoken to us again this evening. Lord, thank you that your promises come to us afresh this evening, promises to do your good and fulfill your good purposes in us and through us and promises to be with us, whatever lies ahead. Lord, you know our lives. You know what we are facing. Lord, we cannot do it in our own strengths. And so, Lord, we look to you and we say, Lord, for this week, God with us.
Lord, please be with us. Strengthen us, help us, and keep us looking to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to close by singing this uh, song, Yet Not I, But Christ Through Me. Again, just pointing us to that glorious picture. That as we go on from here, it is not us who goes, but Christ who is with us, who works through us. Let's stand and sing.
as we finish. Let's hear these words from the end of the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen.